Hey, welcome to Conversations with Ben Dixon, where we discuss important topics through a biblical lens with the hope to encourage you and equip you. Thank you for tuning in. Let me remind you where you can listen and watch all of these different episodes. You can always go to YouTube and type in Conversations with Ben Dixon. Go to iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere else where you can download podcasts. Make sure to subscribe and like and share all of these episodes with your friends. That would be a blessing to us. If you forget all that, go to Conversations with Ben Dixon. has all the information about what we've done and what we're going to do. Today is going to be a great time with a very special guest. He's also one of my best friends. This is Pastor John Hammer. How you doing, John? Good, Ben. Can Always I give your bio? With you. Can I give you bio? Absolutely. Pastor John is the lead pastor of Sunrise Christian Center, and he's also the author of a book called Exit. I've read it. If you haven't read it, I believe you're going to want to after this episode and also next week because we're going to do two of them. So make sure that you go and buy the book Exit. We're going to talk a lot about it, so stay tuned. Today's special because we're going to be talking about the blessing and the burden of sexuality. I was talking to John about this, and not only is it really important, but it's a uh, it, it's a t- it's a topic that is just shoved into our face, whether we want to talk about it or not. It's something that's mm-hmm. very important in the culture for different reasons in different ways. But we want to make sure that we're building a biblical foundation. So I think it's going to be a great episode that not only you're going to want to tune into, but I think you're going to want to go back to, and. Also want to let you know that our next episode is going to be with Pastor John as well, where we're going to talk about freedom from pornography or pornography addiction. But today we want to talk about the blessing and the burden of sexuality. And we're, of course, going to go to Scripture in order to determine that and discuss it together. But John, I want to start by talking simply about this, the importance of understanding sexuality, of course, through the lens of the Bible. But I had a story that I thought would be very important for us uh, to talk about. And there mm-hmm. was a time where I uh, I posted something on social media. Have you ever done that? Of course you have. Yeah. Uh, I posted uh-huh. something on social media. A friend of mine, I don't think it was you, but somebody uh-huh. sent me a video and it was about people who were living a transgendered life. They were living a mm-hmm. homosexual lifestyle and God had gotten a hold of their hearts and transformed them like from the inside out. And they were standing on a stage and they were giving testimony to how Jesus had transformed them. He had given them a new identity that was not simply based on their sexuality. And it was it was really powerful. In fact, it was somewhere around like 15 minutes long. Mm-hmm. I, I had my kids and my wife watch the thing and we together just sort of rejoiced at what God had done. It was really powerful. I watched the video, so I posted it on social media, and I thought, man, everybody wants to see this, of course. In the back of my mind, I got to be honest, I always know that somebody has something to say about uh, this being controversial or whatnot. Of course, not everybody's going to have the biblical worldview or a biblical sexual ethic, but- I wanted people to see it. That's my that was my motive. I was like this is really powerful. We seldom hear these kind of testimonies. But something stuck out in my uh something stuck out in my mind during that post because I had a number of like amens, amens, amens. I didn't follow them all, but there are a lot of like mm-hmm. that was really powerful. Clearly the people that said that watched it. They yeah. they didn't just see whatever the title was. But there was a number of people, I don't know, maybe a few hours later that just started to go after me mm-hmm. for posting something like this. Like It was like, kind of like a how dare you. And after reading, I think it was about three or four of the sort of negative responses, I wasn't sure that anybody had really watched it. It was like, I think they saw the title and, and thought, man, why are you even posting this? Because right. I don't know how you could watch this and mm. 
only think negatively and post some of the things they did. But there was one lady, and let me just preface it. This lady was in an internship that I was a part of a decade ago. I mean, long time ago. This is actually before I was at my last church. It was the church before that. I have not seen or heard from this woman for, I mean, gosh, I would say 15 years, maybe more. Uh And, uh, And so we don't know each other. I didn't even know I was friends with her on social media. Uh, I had to, her last name's different. So I had to figure out who she was, but she posted something that stuck out to me that I think is kind of telling, especially as we're talking mm-hmm. about something like this. She said, um, why are pastors, I, I wrote it down. I, I remember exactly how she said it. Why are pastors um, so enamored with talking about sex and people's sex life? <laughs> it was uh-huh. like, dot, dot, dot. You know, I was like, yeah. I didn't know. I was like, did not know what to say, first of all, I was like, hey, uh-huh. it's good to hear from you after 15 years. Right. And this is the post that you decided to engage with me on, mm-hmm. which I think is interesting. But she, why are pastors, John, why are pastors mm-hmm. so enamored <laughs> with talking about sex and sexuality? Why is it our issue that we are so... Yeah. Now, I know that I'm saying this in a way that's maybe... Uh, I'm I'm putting a little sauce on it. But my point was that that's how it felt. It felt like I'm doing something dirty. Uh I'm doing something wrong. How dare you post this? First, number one, I don't know that she watched the video. Number two, she definitely read the other comments of the Uh people that hated me as a result of posting such a beautiful thing. I, I felt in my heart that this was such a beautiful video of people coming right. back into their identity mm-hmm. where their sexuality was not their identity, but it was a part of their humanity. Yeah. And it was so clear, right? But this is what you realize very quickly is that a person who's saying that we're the problem for mm-hmm. discussing it obviously is coming from a different worldview. Right. Now, she was a Christian at one time. I don't know that she is or isn't now, but to to say that a person who posts that is the problem yeah it, it's incredible and i just realized that god um that god has given us the something beautiful in our in sexuality right. that's to be expressed between one man and one woman in marriage covenant but part of the problem is is that we actually don't discuss it would right. you agree with yeah. that well yeah i mean that lady's perspective is interesting because for somebody that's been that wrote a book on freedom from pornography and has been preaching and sharing my testimony of freedom from porn and sexual brokenness uh for like i guess boy it's been like 20 years now since i started testifying about it and probably mm-hmm. almost that many years since i started preaching uh what i usually hear from people is like nobody talks about this in the church you're so brave why don't pastors talk about this more why don't churches deal with this more so i usually hear the exact opposite mm-hmm. uh that it's super that people tend to think that it's really rare very rarely do i have i ever heard that you guys are obsessed the pulpit is obsessed with sex talks or whatever um it was a terrible I mean, comment yeah, i felt bad right even said, the whole like, yeah what am I doing even the wrong? whole sexual identity thing i mean really the culture is driving, and even when pastors do talk about it, I think that we feel like at least a lot of pastors that I would consider peers, friends, that I or people that I associate with, they would feel like the culture's pushing the conversation mm-hmm. on the church. Mm-hmm. Like the church would actually maybe, in some ways, even talk about it less, uh, or or wouldn't have feel such an urgent need to do it if it wasn't like constantly at our doorstep. Like every 
you know, I don't know if it's still the case, but for several years here, within the last five years, uh, any big name preacher, author, you know, like some of the pastors of big mega church or would speak at like stadium kind of events or be a best-selling Christian author, they would be interviewed about their book on prayer or peace or about their big event happening in, you know, like the Superdome or whatever. And then then the media would be like, and what is your view on LGBTQ? What is your view on same-sex marriage? What is your view on transgender? You know, so it was like, they're like, they're there to do like an interview on some mm -hmm. total other topic. You guys are just like, you know, pushing us for these sound bites. Um, totally. So, and, and I, I think though that every generation, the church, we need to do theology and culture and we need to tackle the issues of our day. So it's not bad that it's coming to our doorstep, mm -hmm. right? But I don't think it's necessarily that we're obsessed with it, but we, we care about people. And this is something that everybody's talking about getting enraged by, in, cultured with, mm -hmm. uh, and we wanna make disciples of Jesus. And so we wanna form people into what we call a biblical worldview, right? Yeah, I mean, that, to me, like, I knew right away by reading her comment, and this is mm -hmm. really, I'm bringing the story up as cause yeah. it's a caricature of so many other things that we're facing. Yeah. Um, in the church, people would say, we don't talk about it enough, but there are some mm -hmm. people that would say, please don't talk about it. So it's kind of a mixed mixed bag. But there really is this push uh, towards us to talk uh, about sexuality where it, the need arises that so we've got to clarify this, or maybe we're behind the game. We should have been mm -hmm. talking about this a long time ago, but it's always a, a biblical worldview issue. People have different worldviews, so they're coming at it differently. Um, obviously, we're, try we're intersecting with moral relativism uh -huh. where there's no absolute truth and mm -hmm. truth changes in every generation. And so she's probably adopted something like that once being a Christian. Yeah. And now it's like, hey, the Bible doesn't really speak to this. Jesus mm -hmm. didn't say anything about it, which isn't true, but she's probably adopted those kind of principles. And it's like, hey, get out of my sex life. I'm not, I'm posting a video yeah. about people who are testifying to what God has done in their life. And you can't see the beauty of that. You can't mm -hmm. see the beauty of somebody coming out of unhealthy sexuality mm -hmm. and actually coming into an identity that's built on Jesus where their sexuality is mm -hmm. restored to them in the proper place that it should yeah. be. I, I just think what it, what it did for me is it, it showed me how important it is that we really talk more about it yeah. and not less. So just here's the question, what is the purpose mm -hmm. of human sexuality based on scripture? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, that's a good, that's a big question, right? It's a big question, yeah, um, come on. And I think, I don't know who said this first, but I think anytime we deal with these topics, um, answer questions like that, you know, they say like, maybe people that are Gen X or older even, like uh, boomers, um, especially in the church would think of like the issue of human sexuality as a, as an issue, as a philosophy, as a theology, right. as a doctrine um, where younger people, maybe somewhere in Gen X and younger uh, millennials or, or Z, they think of when you talk about sexuality, they just think about individual people. Right. And so right. there's like the, the idea realm. And then there's the human, how it intersects with real human life and real individual people making really difficult decisions. So I think we need a lot of compassion for people as we lay out God's truth. But I think also we should, you know, unapologetically look at God's truth. Mm -hmm. um, and I, you know, I think the, the plan for human sexuality is laid out, you know, right back in the beginning of the Bible in Genesis mm -hmm. and that God lays it out in the first few chapters, the first two chapters specifically, of Genesis and uh, you know, Jesus says that Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and so Moses is like the foundation, the law, 
the Genesis is the foundation of really the whole of scripture, mm -hmm. right? And then Jesus refers when he's teaching on marriage and any references to like sexuality, he's referring back to Genesis 2. The apostle Paul, who's the you know most major author of the New Testament, right. he's referring right. <laughs> to Genesis mm -hmm. and the foundation. And then John, who writes the last book of the Bible, Revelation, he is kind of, the very end of Revelation is kind of like a mirror of Genesis, mm -hmm. right? It's mm -hmm. kind of like a another picture. And so what we see in Genesis is that there's God who makes all things good before sin enters the world. Sin is not the start of mankind. Glory, beauty, meaning, purpose is the start of mankind. Mm -hmm. We're made man and woman in the image of God. Mm -hmm. And uh, personal identity even precedes marriage or sexuality in right. male and femaleness. Right. Um, and then... Uh, God brings them together and tells them that, you know, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two will become one flesh. Right, exactly. And so uh, when ma man and woman together in marriage are a picture of oneness and even then later through the New Testament, of course, we see that a, husband, a marriage between a husband and wife is a picture of Christ in the church. Mm -hmm. It's a picture of union with God. And uh, I love what our, one of our uh, good friends, uh, Phil Manginelli says, and I've heard some of his teachings on sexuality is that, you know, biblically, as you look back at sexuality, there's, you cannot separate uh, like sexual identity and practice really from marriage and family and children. Not that sex is only for like making babies because the Bible, I think is clear that it's also God intended it for pleasure. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a, it's a wonderful bond and something to enjoy between a husband and a wife. Mm -hmm. um, so it goes beyond just like the utility of making babies. Um, but uh, all those things are like interconnected with sexuality, uh, like our relation, our relationships, our marriages, our parenting. And we've kind of got into a place now where we separate all those things. But I think the foundation is right from the, is right there from the beginning mm -hmm. for what, what causes the flourishing of human sexuality, even before sin enters the picture, a human brokenness. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, I just, I believe with all my heart that God, God is a designer, right? As a creator, he designed. And so he understands how we work. Uh, and, but sin is, of course, marred and affected mm -hmm. how, we, how we use our sexuality, how we perceive how, our self-perception, right. um, our ideas, and then our practices um, that we live out. Yeah, I mean, one of the teachings that I have, I talk about, I sort of had this revelation where you have Genesis one, God creates mm -hmm. male, female, Genesis two. Uh, really, we have uh, male and female. We have that, uh, I think it's verse 15. He talks about the man shall leave his father and mother and cling yeah. to be one with his wife. So we have the purpose of oneness. Mm -hmm. uh, man alone, he said, this is not good. And he's talking about humanity. He's not just talking about every person needs to be married, but uh -huh. he's saying it's not good that man is alone. And so he, he obviously fashions Eve out of his rib, which is a whole crazy story, but the reality is out of man, God fashions woman and then brings them back together in oneness. And it's this beautiful reflection of, of like what you said in the New Testament later, we understand it's, there's this oneness between God and his people, Christ and the church. And I, you know, f human flourishing, um, obviously procreation, having, uh -huh. having children, there is a sense of pleasure. You read Song of Songs, um, but I, I also believe uh, in all of that, that there's intimacy that's shared between right. a husband and a wife. And it's kind of hard to articulate exactly what that means, but there's closeness, there's intimacy, Absolutely. there's oneness where emotions are shared. It's not just physical, it's uh -huh. emotional and it draws hearts together. It draws two opposite people together and it 
Absolutely. It also fosters that commitment to each other. I think it, in God's sort of beautiful design, there's something special there that I think we have a hard time articulating when it comes mm-hmm. to sex and sexuality that our culture right now, and really every culture, that if you look at it, has sort of stolen that it is more of like just a pleasure factory. Yeah. I mean, that's one aspect of uh-huh. it, right? Right. But there's a, there's a side of this that I think for me that um, when it comes to human sexuality, there, there are people who are single. Mm-hmm. There are people who are, and as a result of that, celibate, and they yeah. lay down their sexuality, and right. it's not their identity, and it's mm-hmm. not a part of their utility. It's mm-hmm. not even a pleasure that they experience. Mm-hmm. And so they actually, this is one of the reasons why we have to look at this soberly and say, your sexuality cannot be your identity. Right. Because if you're single, mm-hmm. then what, what does that mean? Because you're going to develop something that's uh-huh. most likely destructive, and we're going to talk uh-huh. about that on the next episode. Yeah. But there are people that are celibate. Jesus was celibate. John the Baptist yeah. was celibate. Yeah. Paul, as far as we know, was celibate. There are a lot of people that don't express sexuality, even mm-hmm. though they teach it to some degree, yeah. or they, they at least want to cultivate the proper understanding of it. And I, I think that they're in... Um, doesn't take away from what we're talking about, but there are some in this life who mm-hmm. either do practice celibacy or are called to not express sexuality. And yeah. even in that, right. there's a health, there's a healthy view of a person mm-hmm. uniting their heart with God and submitting a part of themselves that maybe they desire, but they're saying, hey, I'm mm-hmm. giving this to the Lord. And there's purpose in that, even laying it down before God as an yeah. example to people. Mm-hmm. You believe that? I mean, what do you think about Celibacy, how do you talk about that when it comes to people that are single or people that don't get married? Yeah. How do you talk about that? Well, I think uh, that the the scriptures talk, Jesus talks about the gift of celibacy and then mm. the apostle Paul alludes to like either, whether it's lifetime celibacy or a season of celibacy, like giving those years to the Lord, if it's a season, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and then, so I think that, I believe that when Jesus talks about the gift of celibacy, it's in the sense that um, it's like a calling. And when someone lives in that purpose, it's a blessing to them rather than a burden. Because if it's a if it's a gift bestowed on you, like some people are afraid that they have the gift of celibacy and because they don't want it. <laughs> yeah, no, I've heard that. Before. So, right? Like, I'm just afraid that I've God's called me to be celibacy. What about the young people that say, I think I'm called to be single? How many yeah. people, when they get on fire right. for God, will say that? Right. You know, and I, yeah. I mean, maybe I had those thoughts when I was right. young and on fire for yeah. Jesus. I don't I don't know. Right. But I think it's could be possible. The so I think it's it's finding out like if you're if you have a call to it, I think there's a grace to do it. Like mm-hmm. when I operate in my calling in the ministry, mm-hmm. like that's where my strengths come out. That's where it, it doesn't mean I don't have any struggles or I never have to surrender anything to the Lord, or it's like you just walk on clouds all the time. Uh, but you have a, you realize like I'm gifted to do this. I feel like, you know, if I try to do somebody else's job or somebody else's career or somebody else's, their spiritual gifts as my primary gifts, I feel like a square peg in a round hole. But when I walk in my gifts, I'm like, whoa, I, this, you know, I flow in this. And mm-hmm. I, so I believe that when someone has that gift, they have this sense of like completeness in God mm-hmm. and they don't have like a constant longing and sorrow that like they really want they keep desiring because I think that 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 continual desire is a gift from the Lord. Because I think it it would be normative. I think you know in the biblical narrative, right? The big picture of Scripture is it would be normative for people to desire to marry. But then there is a gift that God bestows on certain people to give themselves to His purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus talks about you know eunuchs by choice or by birth, but those who are choosing, you know, like whether it was through some kind of 
thing at birth that caused them to not really have a, a physical ability or desire to have sexual intimacy, that there would be those rare occasions. And he's giving honor to those people that would have to struggle through that experience. Mm -hmm. And then also giving honor to those who choose that lifestyle mm -hmm. um, and say, hey, this is uh, what I feel a grace to live in. And so I think God blesses those people and we should definitely celebrate and welcome them. And I think you're right though. Does that mean they have like a defunct human identity because they're not gonna be sexually active? Uh, like, no, mm -hmm. like not at all. That's not their primary identity of being made in the image of God. I mean, their maleness and their femaleness would be though. Mm -hmm. you yeah, know? absolutely. So there's that's a part that's, that is tied to their sexuality, but they wouldn't be expressing it obviously in like an active way with a partner, right? right. Um, with, with a spouse or something. No, I think it's I think it's important. I, mm -hmm. One of the thoughts that I had to even bring up with you is the fact that the church and really maybe mm -hmm. even Christian leaders or Christians, Christian yeah. homes, don't talk enough about sexuality, mm -hmm. and and we're talking about the whole arena right. of sexuality. I think that this has actually created um, a greater problem. I agree. And, and the fact that we don't discuss it, we don't instruct our children, and mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't mean we like as everybody, but there is a reality to this yeah. not happening probably as often as it should, as much as it should. That creates a vacuum where so many other ideologies, philosophies, right. and other worldviews kind of creep in mm -hmm. and take hold of somebody's heart and mind where they may not even realize that they've adopted another right. view, a broken view of sexuality that they either propagate or allow to kind of come through their life mm -hmm. or at least in their mind. Yeah. But I, I was thinking about when I was um, at a church previous to the one I'm at now, I was in a small group and I, there was a guy there who was going through a divorce. Now I've, I've actually... I've helped more people go through divorce than marriage. So mm -hmm. this is a very, obviously when it comes to sexuality, mm -hmm. the number one reason why people have gotten divorces in my world is because of broken sexuality. Mm -hmm. Somebody just gave themselves to adultery, an yeah. affair, pornography, whatever it was. That's the number one reason. It's not the yeah. only reason, but it's the number uh -huh. one reason. And so there was a man at the small group who was going through a divorce. He had sexual brokenness. To what extent, I didn't know, but we had a co-ed small group. So there's men mm -hmm. and women. There's about 12 of us in the group. This man wasn't really that open. You know, We knew about his issue. We were kind of trying to help him. I was a young pastor, so mm -hmm. I hadn't really walked a lot of people yeah. through this kind of a thing before. Uh, but God had you know, given me a level of insight. He had given me a health to my own sexuality personally at that stage. Of course, I, I struggled through that as a young man, but then God gave me you know, that health and that victory in those days. And so I was like, you know, really excited and really passionate. And all of a sudden we're talking about, it was like alpha. We were talking about mm -hmm. basic foundations of Christianity. And we had conversation time and the guy begins to open up about his pornography addiction, which led to another conversation. He's about five to eight minutes in, and it's raw. It's like raw confession. And you could tell in the room, you could hear a pin drop, and everybody in the room could tell this was the first time that this guy had probably opened up like this. Mm -hmm. We all know he's going through a divorce. We all know it's difficult. We all wanna help him. But he starts to talk honestly and openly, and there's women in the room, and there was a woman who literally, after about seven minutes, stopped him and said, hey, none of us want to hear that right now. And the shame that came over him, I mm -hmm. will never forget what it looked yeah. like on his face. It just, it looked like you just ripped his heart out. Like yeah. in this group, 
He felt safe. He felt like he could open up. He desired freedom and he went for it because we're talking about freedom. We're talking about following Jesus. And this thing was like what was on his heart. He's like, there's the, here's the wall. Right. I need to get out uh, from behind this wall. Mm-hmm. And as he did that, there was a lady there and I'm not demonizing her. I'm, I'm not at all. I, mm-hmm. I understand she was uncomfortable. I understand that this was something she was not capable of talking about, but she was a mature Christian woman and she just stopped him. Like you can, mm-hmm. we don't want to hear that. Yeah. And man, I, I, I want to say it as right. clearly as it was without exaggeration. This guy never mm-hmm. opened up again yeah. about that. He never opened up in group again. Mm-hmm. And, you know, three to four months later, um, I, I didn't really, I mean, we ch- I tried to talk to him about it, but he just never, mm-hmm. he just kind of went down this road, ends up getting a divorce and and yeah. and I never have get to have that conversation with him Sad. again. But this, the sadness of it is this, is that although that story maybe seems mm-hmm. maybe not as normal, like maybe that doesn't happen all the time, but it's something underneath all of this is that yeah. people don't talk about this, okay? Right. Don't. And there's a feeling that if I do talk about this, something mm-hmm. like that will happen because yeah. it does happen mm-hmm. and, I, and I've seen it happen. But where there's shame and guilt and condemnation already, when a person begins to get free, when a person yeah. begins to you know, start to uh, come back mm-hmm. to a place of, of health because they see health around yeah. them, I, I think that there's a profoundest service in not discussing this. Right. So, so two things. The mm-hmm. the one gal on my mm-hmm. my social media uh-huh. feed. Why are you so enamored with this? Mm-hmm. And but the real the real side is is that the world's talking about this stuff every day, all the time, all the time, consumed with sexuality. I don't think we talk enough about it. No. And we need to build a proper mindset. We need to build uh, through our biblical mm-hmm. worldview a foundation of healthy and flourishing sexuality, even for those who are single and celibate and have to lay it down, at least they know it and mm-hmm. they understand it if they're not expressing or practicing that. Yeah. Um, I mean, they're they're a male, they're a female, um, they're relating to God in a biblical way and, and an understanding of being a son or daughter, but they're able to lay down the expression of their sexuality and they understand what it is, what it's for, the blessing of it, the burden of it, because we talk about mm-hmm. it. Why don't we talk about it more than we do. Well, I mean, it's it's an intimate part of our of our life, mm-hmm. our our sexual identity and our experiences, especially negative or harmful experiences. So the Bible says that you know all sin is committed outside the body, except for sexual sin. Paul says in First Corinthians. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think there's this sense of like there's a greater connection to our shame. Yeah, and our brokenness when we sin sexually. It's not that sexual sin is harder to forgive or that it's, you know, it makes us a worse person than someone who sins in another way. But I think Paul is just saying there's a, a greater weight that it carries of how it affects your personal soul. Um, so uh, it's, and I think for whatever reason, the church, it, yeah, we've, we we're overly religious. I mean, it's a major, it's a major issue. We, uh, don't let people open up about their stories. Um, I think when you start creating a culture of confession and vulnerability, it demands everybody else to feel like they can fit in to be a part of that culture that they're going to have to be real and transparent to. And so it, it creates yeah. a lot of risk, yeah. Yeah. you know, and unfortunately, uh, 
from what I've heard, it was really common in the church that like, let's say somebody, you know, meets Jesus out of a life of just like sin. And it's like one of those more, you know, dramatic stories where like they were given to drunkenness, drugs, uh, multiple sexual partners, pornography, a crazy life of lawlessness that like, hey, when they're going to go get up and testify, like somebody kind of grabs, grabs them, hey, you know that part about the strip clubs or that prostitute or, you know, you, you slept around with a bunch of girls, like we don't say that publicly, you know? So it was like, we, it was like the church just, you got to edit those parts out. And so, mm. I mean, you go to any church and most of our best pastors in America are like former criminals, former drug addicts. <laughs> I mean, look at you, Ben, right? Like, like, but the drug stuff or whatever, you know, the, the stuff you were rolling with before you like really your, surrendered to Christ. Your previous testimony, yeah. I was like, why are you yeah, talking yeah, yeah. about me right, right. now? Yeah yeah. 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 But I'm saying like, oh, that's true. Right. Mm -hmm. Because in the church, we have faith that if you came from drugs, alcohol, crime, you know, uh, and you met Jesus, that you could be radically saved and so transformed that we would trust you to be a leader in the church. Right. But it's like all the stories are muted on sexuality. So I agree with you. If the culture gets to be the only voice on an issue because we're quiet about it, because we don't want to cause people to stumble or be uncomfortable, you know, it, now it's like, don't talk about it because. Uh, I mean, a lot of people feel pressure. Don't talk about it because the media is going to, or the world or people that you know or love are going to say you're a hateful bigot because you have a different value system than them. Right. But it, for a long time, it was be quiet because we just don't talk about those things. We're holy people. We're pious and religious and that's fleshly, worldly stuff. Um, but I think what happened is because we're quiet, it's like, there's no testimony. There's no, mm -hmm. there's no record of God changing these people. So I think that's why we got to share stories about people getting freed from pornography or coming out of a transgender lifestyle or a same-sex attracted lifestyle, learning to follow Christ and crucify their flesh and what they're dealing with and, you know, saying, ultimately, I'm going to follow Jesus at the end of the day. Um, but I think we've got to become so much more transparent, not just about sexuality, but we've got to be We've got to let people, we got to have a confessional community that Amen. allows one yeah. another to say, this is where I'm struggling. I love what Peter wrote in his first epistle. He said, have fervent love for one another for love will cover a multitude of sins mm -hmm. so that we um, we have a culture of confession and coming to the light with our brokenness and our pain. And then we love each other fervently in that. Right. So we're like, hey, I'm so glad you opened up about that. And we're not lecturing or sermonizing or bashing each other in those moments, but we're creating a place where there's space to talk about real issues. Um, and then, of course, with an eye to be redemptive, mm -hmm. with a heart to be redemptive and help people overcome, not just to wallow in our sinfulness or our brokenness, but that we know that transparency and coming to the light is an opportunity for real healing and real transformation right. so that we can have victory over these sins that that weigh us down, these shameful things in our lives. Yeah, and I I, I think if we talk about it more, mm -hmm. it will lend itself to getting a male-female perspective because uh -huh. we need more of our, of our women to be able to feel mm -hmm. comfortable sharing. And I mean, in church, there are plenty of experts and men and women that have ministries that talk about this. I mean, you yeah. can find them on YouTube. You can read right. lots of books. But I just think on an average church, okay, mm. like is it comfortable for men and women to discuss this in a way that our children are are not having to blush when we talk right. about proper human sexuality? Yeah. I mean, we should blush. Right. In fact, when I was a <laughs> when I was preaching for youth a lot, I remember preaching a message called "Restore the Blush." Yeah, <laughs> that'll preach, John. Anyway, because the like when you don't have any sense of like 
sacredness around right, this issue. Right. That's that's the destruction yeah. that I think our silence has, mm-hmm. has caused. But on the other side, I think that if we have a level of comfort that our children can be instructed from from their young ages so that mm-hmm. they're the most educated on these things. And by the time the culture comes to sell the wolf ticket and the All lie, right. they're like, wait a minute, that's not right. Yeah. Why would they know that's not right? Because totally. mom and dad talked to me because my church talks about this. We right. have a foundation for it. Yeah. And they're well-rounded, they're well-educated. They're, they're, they understand who they are, what they have, what it's for, what to do with it. But I also think that being silent mm-hmm. on human sexuality obviously through a biblical lens is it creates a a breeding ground for mm. abuse and mm. harm and pain um within not only marriage but i think there are so many sexual abuse victims right that because we don't talk openly mm. about this it allows things to stay in the shadows yeah. and some of those things are these extremes like yeah. we're talking about sexual abuse there are a lot of people that or have all these crazy things mm-hmm. going on in the shadows and it comes to light far too late down the road. And I think if we start building that comfortable level of discussion in proper places in the church, I think I actually think it'll bring a lot of the secrets yeah. out of the shadows, the pornography mm-hmm. that is just so rampant. And that's that's kind of where I ultimately want to go to is, is that you know, we we talk a little bit about the purpose of sexuality. There's a lot of beauty to it, what God's given given uh-huh. it to us for. But then there's then there's the burden. There's the side of like having to defend. We have mm-hmm. to know what this is. We have to defend against the lies that come yeah. and the things that are intruding. And there are many mindsets that are against a biblical sexuality, mm-hmm. the blessing of it, and it creates this sort of burden that we carry to defend against Mm -hmm. wrong thinking, wrong worldviews, wrong ideologies. And obviously the the stuff that you talk about in your book from pornography to all kinds of sexual brokenness, ideologies Mm -hmm. that are cultural. How do you think that we, what is the best way for just people to begin to take steps in understanding what we're up against and g- g- rolling their sleeves up and get, getting in on ha- how to defend against the stuff that is actually here. It's not yeah. coming, it is here. If we don't have a defense right. against this stuff, what do, what, do, what do people do? How do we take next steps? Well, I think that first is to get rooted in God's truth, right? And to really believe like, um, I mean, I've had people in my office and people that have been in our church, even in the last season that are really stu- struggling deeply with their sexual identity, like identify, you know, like maybe birth as a, as a, a male appearing as a, presenting as a female or vice versa, born as a female trying to present as a male or, or same sex attracted. And, you know, I've said like, Hey, you're welcome to be at our church to examine the path of Jesus versus the path of the world. And those are two different paths when it comes to human sexuality. Mm-hmm. So I try to look at it as like a matter of of truth narratives, like the world's truth, what they wanna say and God's truth. And mm-hmm. and, and it's oversimplification maybe, but I think it's helpful. And like, you're here to, ex- you're welcome to be in our community and examine if you wanna walk on God's path or not for a season, mm-hmm. but you can't walk on God's path and the world's path at the same time. So you, I think you have to understand those things. And there's, you know, throughout every culture, um, throughout human history, there's been sexual brokenness. We see it right back in the beginning in Genesis, very shortly after sin enters the world. They covered themselves. That was the first thing they did. We're naked. Right. They have it. There's an identity issue right away that sin enters in. And then you see a lot of sexual sin in the early families of, of, 
of the beginning. Mm -hmm. And then throughout every human culture, we have different expressions of sexuality, different uh, cultural customs. Um, but then we came into a time where it seems like uh, all of a sudden marriage was getting redefined like in the 90s probably. Mm -hmm. And there was probably some movement before that, but then there was the discussion of redefining marriage. And we were told that gay and lesbian was a fixed thing at birth that was genetic. And so therefore we had to give an accommodation to something that was fixed. And now it's interesting now in 2021, you don't really hear that birth argument anymore. I just saw a video yesterday on TikTok. Somebody curated a bunch of videos, I think out of a spirit of mockery. So I'm not advocating that, but somebody created a, a channel on Twitter called Libs of TikTok. And a lot of what the videos are is people that are in different sexual identity categories. And there's some, it appears like a man to me that's dressed as a woman with makeup. And he says like, give your phone, parents, give your phone to the kids right now. I have a message for them. Sometimes we're male and sometimes we're female. And sometimes we float in between and sometimes we're not even human. And like, I I've seen some of these not to mock or like how could dare somebody could think like this. I do it to be like, these are the ideologies that are becoming pervasive at an elementary school, middle school, high school level that are seeping into the media. These are the videos kids are seeing on TikTok and Instagram and different social media platforms, right? Mm -hmm. So we've got to be aware. And we talk to our kids. I mean, we make them blush. <laughs> you know, all of our kids, we had the sex talk at about age 10 with each of them. Mm -hmm. And now we have all four of our kids are, our youngest is 10. So all four of them have had the talk, but we have ongoing dialogue uh, on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. I'm regularly asking my son, especially my wife's asking our daughters, like, what are you watching? Let me see your phone. Uh, we try to, you know, guard certain programs, but even kids programming or like superhero movies now, there's... Uh, you know, there's jokes, there's there's moments of like different uh, sexual expressions and identities, transgender stuff. Um, so we got to have, I think, just a lot of not only that awareness, but then that dialogue. So we look at it as a discipleship opportunity. We're not going to completely disengage from all media in the world, although I think there's certain boundaries, especially with pornographic things or like certain level of things that we should just have no participation in as Christians. Mm -hmm. um, but that there is like, this is a discipleship opportunity to have discussion. And to remember, like, these aren't just issues, kids. These are people, these are friends, these are neighbors. These are people you're gonna work with. Um, these are people you're gonna be in different school programs when you get your first job at McDonald's or Chick-fil-A or the pet store or whatever. Like there's a good chance you're gonna be working with somebody that identifies this way. And as a Christian, we gotta love people mm -hmm. and have a lot of room in our hearts for people that disagree with us, but we don't have to, adopt the same value systems. Mm -hmm. So te teaching people to love and then share the gospel, it's tricky because the world has completely intermeshed sexual identity with who that person is. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think there is obviously, it would be foolish to ignore the connection of our identity with our sexuality, even scripturally, but to make it what it is, it's become something completely different. So to reject somebody's choices or values is now to reject them at the core of their person, according to the world's narrative, right? So it's a, it's a tricky thing to be courageous in truth and stand for what you believe in, but be compassionate to help mm -hmm. people. And so I do think though, Christians need to take courage that mm -hmm. like psychologically, I mean, some of my learning that I've done from like sociologists or anthropologists, uh, psychologists that aren't even Christians sometimes, they're coming to, to conclusions that we need the Christian value system mm -hmm. on sexuality, sex being expressed between a husband and wife, arguing for monogamy, 
they're like, we don't know where we're going. And one of my favorite proverbs is don't remove the ancient landmark, which was put there by your forefathers, you know, or some version of that, depending on your translation. Mm -hmm. Because like, there's a reason marriage is there. There's a reason we said marriage was a husband and wife. There's a reason why we raise kids in families. There's in every culture, uh, whether it's the communists that thought they would create superhumans mm -hmm. by having all these babies in like a big special, like, uh, I don't know what they would call it, but like not a hospital, but like some super <laughs> dome or place that they're gonna raise these kids to be superhuman soldiers and all this. Like many of those babies died because there was only a few nurses to care for like dozens or hundreds of babies. Mm -hmm. And they those babies needed a family. They needed to be touched. They needed to be held. So every time we think we have an idea that's advancing society or progressing society, outside of the boundaries that God put and the, the ancient boundaries that he designed, mm -hmm. we end up finding that there's a harm to it, that when kids lose their parents, when kids don't have a mom or dad, am I trying to villainize single parents? No, or somebody, uh, you know, two men that are trying to raise a child, am I trying to attack them or say that they can't love a child? I'm not trying to do that. I'm trying to say that when somebody has a man and a woman in the home that love each other and that love that child and keep their promises and set an example of not perfection, but of love, of apology for mistakes and their sexuality is expressed in a way that that is reinforced, you know, biological realities, sociological realities, mm -hmm. uh, the flourishing of human society, like that's what's best for humanity. Mm -hmm. And so it's not out of a spirit of anger, it's even for that individual. Like I believe that when someone comes to Jesus with their broken sexuality and no matter how hard it is for them to fight the desires of the flesh, mm -hmm. that they're gonna find flourishing and peace in Jesus beyond any sexual expression that they could ever live. And although I can't identify with what it's like to be this deeply same-sex attracted kind of thoughts or what it would be like to be the wrong, you know, or to feel like I was born in the wrong body because of my my gender perception, I can identify with that. I wanted to have sex with everybody that I saw that I thought was beautiful. Mm -hmm. And it was hard for me to stop giving into those attractions and desires for pornography and those things. So I can't fully relate to what it was like because they the argument would be, well, well, you get to express that with your wife now. So you have an outlet, you know, you're saying, I don't get an outlet if I have these desires. So it's a very, I, I, we, I can go on and on. It's a very weighty thing. But I think, I, I believe with all my heart that having Christ in my life is what matters more than anything mm -hmm, else. Absolutely. And I believe that for anybody. And I believe that's the narrative is that whatever Jesus said, you know, if, if you're gonna follow me to deny yourself and take up your cross mm -hmm. and then and then you can follow me. Mm -hmm. And so I believe that for whatever, whatever our struggle is, you know, our cross to bear is not the cross to pay for our own sin, but it is a, it's a denial of the self rule. Mm -hmm. and say, I'm not gonna let my myself rule in this relationship with God. I'm gonna follow his path, no matter what it would cost me. But then you've got a flood of voices mm -hmm. trying to drown you out in this culture mm -hmm. to tell you that that's ancient, it doesn't work anymore. But I believe that we'll become distinctive mm -hmm. even more and more. And I believe that the church that sticks with biblical sexuality, the family that sticks with raising their kids in the ways of the scripture, um, are actually gonna be like lifeboats mm -hmm. because we're seeing suicide go so rampant. We're seeing um, you know, the, the number of children that are identifying as a different gender than what they were born with in their sex is the numbers are just going rampant. And mm -hmm. the sexual experiences that, are, that young people are gonna start having at an earlier and earlier age. I mean, from my experience, people that have tons of a whole bunch of crazy sexual experiences and partners are the ones that are in our offices yeah, it's true. in shame, 
regret. They're not liberated. Mm -hmm. They're not, they're, they're weighed down with guilt, shame. They've been abused. They've been, uh, uh, you know, they, they've been in so many experiences. They're, they're sexual. They, they don't even have an ability to bond to someone sexually because they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're so deluded, if you will, because mm-hmm. of all the experiences mm-hmm. they've had. Um, or they're like so controlled by it that they feel like a shell of a person. Right. You know, they, they feel like a drug addict almost because right. their sexuality has dominated everything and they can't control themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I believe that the church, we got to see like we're lifeboats, man. We're rescue. Mm-hmm. Like, like stay on course. Don't, mm-hmm. don't cave into the cultural narrative because we're not going to be able to rescue people mm-hmm. uh, if we don't stand in truth. Of course, we've got to do it in love. We're also not going to be able to rescue people if we're mean spirited, angry, and hostile towards people that live a different lifestyle than us. Mm-hmm. But I think it's really about embracing truth and love, truth and grace, and demonstrating that to the world. Mm-hmm. And I believe that the fruit of living in God's ways makes us distinctive and even makes us that lighthouse or that rescue boat for people that really need help. Oh, amen. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the power of a godly family mm-hmm. is one of the things you highlighted. Yeah. Uh, just the example is a lifeboat. Yeah. It, it really is because it is a distinction in a culture that's crazy and chaotic. Mm-hmm. Here we have a man and a woman as they express love, as they submit to Christ, as they raise their kids in the knowledge of the truth, as they roll their sleeves up and they're unashamed and they're unafraid to be in the world and not of the world. And they don't exhibit this angry quality towards yeah. everybody that has sin or a different perspective or a different worldview, but rather we're engaging with them, which is what Mm -hmm. I am trying to not only do myself, but teach people to do is that we're not just protectionists. We're not just preservationists. We're gospel advocates. And our identity in Christ is more powerful than the world's you know, solutions to these inner temptations. Every person, Christian or not, has temptation to do sinful things. When you don't have Christ, you lack that Holy Spirit restraint from unrighteousness that just continues Mm -hmm. to tempt you. Ideologies are created from that lack of restraint. So then it's like, this must be right because I'm feeling it, I'm thinking it. And if I'm feeling it and thinking it, it must be Right, and how many other people feel the way I do? How many people think the way I do? Well, everybody has sin in their life and we have theology for that. Our Mm -hmm. theology is very clear. It's that we're born with sin, but Jesus came to redeem us out of a life of sin, give us back our life, restore us to right relationship with God. And that's why our identity has to be established in him. So yes, we struggle with gender dysphoria. People think that they're a man when they're a woman, or they think they're a woman when they're a man. They have these feelings, they have these thoughts, they probably are struggling deeply Mm -hmm. with a lot of confusion, and it's incredibly difficult for them. I've heard a lot today about how Christians are the problem or the reason for the suicide rate in the gender uh, dysphoria, in these conversations about um, transgenderism, that if the idea would therefore be if, if Christians would just stop saying that this uh-huh. was wrong and just embrace however people feel about themselves, then that would silence this external voice that is pressuring people to want to take their lives. And that is just farther, so far from the truth. The truth is, is that there are bad voices in the name yeah. of Christ out there that are trying to say things that are just condemning and angry mm-hmm. and not 
in the nature of Jesus. But the reality is, is that this is a confusion. This is a psychological issue. This is based out of not just that person's sin, Mm -hmm. but the mindsets, the ideologies, the cultivation of our culture that's telling people you should feel this way. I mean, there's no wonder why more and more people are coming out saying, I think I'm a man or I think I'm a woman when they're the opposite biologically, because our culture is pushing it so hard. And that wasn't the case years and years ago. And so I think this is something that needs to be, again, talked about more from the side of which we're coming from, this biblical yeah. sexual ethic. And I think we also need to be informed. So if I were to address this sort of simply and concisely is that having clean and clear biblical homes yep. where men and women love each other, invest in the flourishing mm-hmm. of that relationship, raise their kids, educate their children. We would be less scared if our homes were those beacons of light. Right. And, and I think that that's where we have to start. Yeah. So if you're struggling maybe with the frustration with the culture mm-hmm. and you want to like push back, push in actually yeah. to your family first. Don't push back first, press into your family Raise your Amen. children in the knowledge of God. Teach them healthy sexuality. That is the greatest antidote against the culture. The Bible is more powerful. Mm-hmm. Our children will see the difference. They will see the distinction. That's they right. will see healthy from unhealthy, but we have to be the ones that are fostering that, cultivating yeah. it. The second thing is we need to be involved in the education system in the world that we live in because yeah. they're teaching the stuff to our children. And that means we have to know how to vote. We have to know what it means to engage. Mm-hmm. Being angry and posting on social media is not the path. It's just not (laughs) the right path. That is not doing anything. That is not making people aware. I'm... I'm I'm seeing how some people are like we got to push back and what they mean by that is I'm going to post on social media about how crazy this is and yeah. how mad I am. People are not influenced in my opinion that heavily mm-hmm through our social media. They're informed about what we think, but they're influenced when we spend time with them, when we engage in these spheres that we have access to. So one of the things I've I've done is I made a decision uh, not to get get more politically involved, but to get more engaged in what my world looks like. So I started uh, attending these online city council meetings or at least watching them. So the other night I stayed up watching them. I read all the minutes for our city council in our city mm-hmm. here. And then also you can go to the education board and there's um, right. they have these meetings and you can stay informed. And it's information that helps you to engage it properly. Yeah. You can't be misinformed if you're going to engage those people, right? A lot of the reason misinformation continues to be perpetuated is because we're getting bits and pieces from people who are mad and angry rather than going straight to the source. Yeah. Some of that stuff is true, but there are other aspects of it. And if we could come across with wisdom and speak godly biblical principles, even into the places that where people don't believe what we do, I believe it will be distinct. I believe mm-hmm. it will be healthy. We may not necessarily in the world that we live in speak, you know, Genesis 1, 26. I mean, you can do that, but you speak the principle nonetheless. Yep. You share the truth with people who don't believe the truth. So being informed, being educated, and being engaged. Yeah. But pressing into our families first is is so important. Right. I see so many people that push back on the culture, but they're not pressing in to their family. So they're missing the God-given influence that they do have, and they're not getting any influence where they don't have it. And I, Mm -hmm. this is my advocation to 
every person that would watch this. How do we change the next generation? We start with our home. If we don't have that, then we get engaged or we get educated about what's going on around us. Not misinformed, get educated about, you know, it's going to take some time. It's going to take some effort. Then you engage, then you engage. And I think people should run in um, in these local level positions of leadership. Uh-huh. Actually, that's going to be the thing I'm going to talk more about in the next couple of years is mm-hmm. that we should channel our frustration mm-hmm. in being engaged and involved yeah. in sowing seeds into the next generation instead of just talking about how bad this is and how bad that is. We know it's bad, but to engage it mm-hmm. is really costly. Right. That's what it's going to uh, require because legislation isn't mm-hmm. going to be changed mm-hmm. unless we start getting involved at the local level yeah. all the way up. Right. So some people are called to that. Uh-huh. Some people are really called to that. If I wasn't a pastor, John, uh-huh. I think at this season of my life, yeah. I would probably get more involved. Yeah. Not because I'm political per se, mm-hmm. but I don't believe that these things should be separated. Right. And I think that's probably the thing that I'm I'm turning from most is saying, I'm not just gonna, I don't just want to let this happen in our mm-hmm. culture. Um, but healthy homes, healthy churches, I I believe will right. stand out from uh, from what we're facing today in. Uh, in the world. And so how do we recover a healthy view of sexuality? We've talked about it multiple times. We talk about it, not less. We talk about it more. Uh We develop a clear, thorough biblical understanding of sex and sexuality. I want to recommend John's book. This really talks about a little bit of a foundation on human sexuality, freedom from pornography, Mm -hmm. and also sexual addiction. There are a lot of other books that you can read, but start here. Um, We need to teach more and defend less. We do need to defend, but we also need to teach more. Actually, that's one of the greatest defenses that we have is to teach the church, Uh teach our home. We defend the biblical worldview through conversation and communication with love and respect. Mm -hmm. I think that's what you were advocating. But what would you say as we sort of close, Mm -hmm. how do we recover a view of healthy sexuality in our Uh home church and culture? What what is your advice? Okay, just kind of echoing or putting exclamation point on what you shared. Um, I love the scripture in Hebrews 11, where it says that, you know, it talks about the heroes of our faith and it says, Noah condemned the world by building the ark. Mm-hmm. And it was what he built that was a condemnation of what the world's narrative was. That's right. So it was that proactive, he saved his family. Mm-hmm. He rescued his family first and he built something that was according to God's plan. So it wasn't like, he wasn't picketing the world and just telling them how evil they were. He spent years building this ark as a sign against their worship, their idolatry, their narrative, right? And said, mm-hmm. this is what God's having me do. And that res- that saved the whole planet. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, so I think what you said, it was mainly building healthy families, building positively. And I would say the education, all those things, running for local office, to me, that's all building a better arc than what the world's building, mm-hmm. um, getting involved. But I would say then the other area would be telling stories. Mm-hmm. Telling the stories, kind of what you started with about sharing this video with people's testimonies of overcoming is we've got to allow people to tell their stories of getting free from porn, coming out of sexual confusion. And we got to testify and give glory to Jesus. Uh, we got to create a culture that removes shame from talking about these things. Um, there's a it could be a whole rabbit trail, but we're closing. Uh, but there's a guy that one of the founders of reparative therapy, I actually, it's, there's a big mockery. There was a whole Netflix documentary that came out mocking like, oh, the Christians think you can pray the gay away. And this right. is so damaging and harmful. And that's a whole nother topic. But so, and that's pray the gay away was a tagline that was given to reparative therapy. Like, oh, they're trying to repair people's sexuality. But when you actually talk, heard somebody talk that was part of the founding of reparative therapy, all they talked about was the removal of shame from people's story. Mm-hmm. 
That's what they were trying to repair was a shame-based identity. They said very often when someone came to us, we didn't even talk about their sexuality at all. Mm-hmm. And some of the people that came out of uh, same-sex attracted lifestyle uh, to follow Christ and get healing, like never had that their their counselor even talk about any of their sexual stuff really at all. It was just like, why do you feel bad about yourself? What is your shame? What have you been through? Mm-hmm. You know, maybe sometimes it was abuse, sometimes it wasn't. So I think of the church, if we can be a storytelling community, testimony community, that's giving glory to God, that that creates an environment where shame is removed. And I think people will get better because people are having their shame removed and they're finding wholeness in Christ. Mm-hmm. There's also like, I would just recommend to uh, David Kyle Foster in Pure Passion Ministries. Mm-hmm. He wrote a book called Sexual Healing and a book called Love Hunger. Mm-hmm. And I would really recommend him for anybody that wants to know more about these issues or is struggling personally with sexual identity. And they're then also books, yeah. uh, Gary Ingram um, with his wife. He came out of a homosexual lifestyle. She came out of a lesbian lifestyle. They got married, have two boys and are learning to follow Jesus mm-hmm. and live what it means to be a man and a woman. And they say, sometimes we're tempted with same-sex attraction, but we know that's not our core identity. And we progressively... Uh, grow and heal as we follow Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and they run a ministry called Love and, and Truth Network, mm-hmm. and they have some great resources mm-hmm. uh, for people as well. So uh, anyway, I think uh, yeah, this that's, it, yeah, we got we, we need we need to recover this. I, mm-hmm. I believe for the age in which we're living, the Bible. I mean, it's just so chock full of people falling to right. broken sexuality. Mm-hmm. It is it is destroyed legacy generation culture. Yeah. And God calls us to pick up the torch right. and shine and shine the light and show the way. And that's what we want to do. That's why we want to talk more, mm-hmm. uh, more and more about it. Be educated. All right. We need to move, move toward our children, raise them up in the knowledge of God's word. Uh, we could talk for hours and hours uh-huh. about this, but let me kick one of our conversations to the next episode. Please mm-hmm. do not miss Freedom from Pornography, which mm-hmm. is coming next. It's super mm-hmm. important. We want to actually just take one episode just on that because it is an actual epidemic in our times, both in the church and in the world. And so we're going to kick that conversation to the next episode. Make sure to tune in. Make sure to share this with others. It's important. We're barely scratching the surface, but we're going to keep diving deep. God bless you. Thank you for tuning in to Conversations with Ben Dixon. Thank you.